Hello everyone, Al from Point of Insanity Game Studio, and this is going to be a more or less impromptu episode of Geekery in general, and that's because this is actually a very recent development in the role-playing game industry. It actually just happened uh, just a couple days ago. It is something I did want to talk about because it is something I have some opinions on, and I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of developments and a lot of opinions going back and forth among the role-playing game publishing community about this recent story. Now, I heard about this from both Polygon and Gizmondo. There is a leaked document, and since it is leaked, of course we should take this with a grain of salt that things may change at uh, a later time. But Wizards of the Coast, the current makers of Dungeons & Dragons, is going to be making some changes to the open gaming license. Now, I think it's important to look back at the OGL, especially for people who might not really be familiar with it or might not know some of the history behind why Wizards of the Coast may have decided to introduce the OGL. And I'm sure there's probably some people out there that are thinking, what the heck is an OGL? It's short for Open Gaming License. And essentially this was a legal document that Wizards of the Coast released around the time that the third edition of Dungeons & Dragons came out that would allow people to create and sell their own content that used the Dungeons & Dragons rule set, then known as the D20 system, without having to get any sort of license or having to pay any royalty fees to Wizards of the Coast. That might be changing in some situations in the near future. But to really understand, we have to go back. Back to a simpler time the 1990s. Imagine that you were a gamer back then, and you just signed up for AOL, and you just got connected to this newfangled thing called the internet. While the internet wasn't exactly new back in the 90s, it had been around for a while, but it was used primarily by governments, institutions, universities, the military, and businesses. But around the 1990s is when we started to see consumer internet become more common. So now anyone with a computer and a dial-up connection could now log on to this World Wide Web where they could look up the news, weather, information on their favorite sports team, Maybe look up some spoilers for that upcoming blockbuster movie that everyone's talking about. And people definitely were not using the internet to look up pictures of naked people. No, really, people really weren't. Well, anyways, so let's say you're, uh, by the time the, you got internet back in the 90s, you had been a gamer for a while, and you decided to sign up for a GeoCities website. 
I am seriously dating myself by mentioning GeoCities. <laughs> and I admit, yes, I used to actually have a GeoCities website as well. But by this time, you've been playing D&D for a while, and the main edition back then would have been second edition. Though, basic D&D was still in production, and a lot of people still liked first edition. So maybe by this time, you had written some homebrew adventures, and maybe you've made up some magic items or some new spells. Maybe you designed a new character class. Maybe you created some new monsters. And since your gaming group enjoyed the adventure or liked the magic items or the monsters or the whatever new class you created, you decided that you wanted to share with your fellow gamers. You don't have any interest in making money off of it. You just want to give other people a chance to see your ideas and maybe see if it'll help them. So you create your GeoCities website and then you put up some new monsters or magic items or maybe just a, an adventure you wrote. Seems innocent enough. But then TSR finds out and they send you a cease and desist letter asking you to take it down because those homebrew spells or monsters or magic items or adventure that you made is infringing on their copyright. Well, needless to say, this did cause a bit of a rift between TSR and their fan base. So some people started to spell the name of the company as T$R because they thought that they were going to, they were just more interested in money and protecting their IP, which that honestly, I can't blame them for wanting to protect their intellectual property. But it can be overdone. I mean, in this case, you just had people who made some new material for the game and they wanted to share it with other people. They weren't trying to make any money off of it. So as we fast forward to the late 90s, we find that TSR is not doing very good financially. Long story short... They made some very questionable, if not downright stupid, business decisions. And that caused the company to essentially bankrupt itself. I recommend checking out, I think it was episode 100 of Radio Free Borderlands. This is a podcast that a good friend of mine named Dan does. And him and another friend of mine... They did an episode called The Rise and Fall of TSR, where they talked about the or the humble origins of the company and then some of the things that led to their downfall. So I definitely recommend checking it out if you have the opportunity. So eventually, TSR is acquired by one of their competitors, Wizards of the Coast. They decide that what they're going to do now is they're going to create a new version of Dungeons & Dragons. One that's totally different from the versions that we were used to so far. In the year 2000, Wizards of the Coast released Dungeons & Dragons 3rd Edition. They also did something else that was quite revolutionary at the time. They introduced the D20 license, or Open Gaming License. And this would allow independent role-playing publishers to 
create and sell content that is compatible with their version of Dungeons and Dragons with some restrictions, but for the most part, it was pretty reasonable. As far as why they did this, one of the main theories is that a lot of fans thought that this was Watsi's way, Wizards of the Coast, this was their way of extending an olive branch to fans who felt slighted by TSR and their relentless and sometimes unreasonable defense of their intellectual property. Now, there's also another series of articles I'd like to recommend. I think it's on enworld.com, but it's a series called Ghosts of D&D Past, Ghosts of D&D Present, and Ghosts of D&D Future. And it does talk a bit about the history of Dungeons & Dragons, as well as TSR and Watsi up to that point in time when the, you know, the articles were written. When they discussed the open gaming license... One of the people who was uh, one of the lead, I think it was one of the lead designers at Wizards at the time, had mentioned one of the reasons they did this is because it would allow small companies with big ideas to enter into the gaming industry using a system that was established and well-tested and well-recognized. It also would allow these other companies, which were sometimes just called D20 companies, to explore genres and subject matter that Wizards of the Coast either didn't have the interest, the time, or the money to explore. One good example is there is a company, Guardians of Order. They created a game called Beesum, short for Big Eyes, Small Mouth. It is a game that is intended to simulate the world of Japanese animation. They eventually used the D20 license to create a D20 version of Big Eyes, Small Mouth. Pretty smart move, really. I know a lot of people who play Dungeons & Dragons who are also into anime. So the chance for them to play a character that was similar to a Pokemon trainer, or Sailor Moon, or one of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers was certainly appealing to them, and... Chances are, Wizards of the Coast really didn't have any intent to create any Japanese animation-inspired role-playing games, so it definitely helped fill a certain niche. This led to something that has been called the D20 boom. After they announced this open gaming license, there were tons of new role-playing game companies that were all of a sudden popping up and starting to sell their products to stores. But with every boom, there comes a bust. A few years later, there was an event known as the D20 bust. And a lot of these companies either went out of business or some of them that were a bit more stable, they would go on to start developing their own unique systems because they found out it was harder to get some of their products into stores because there was a glut. There was just too many OGL D20 system products out there. Now, if you are the owner of a brick and mortar, a physical game store, you've only got a limited amount of space. 
and you don't have any way to know which D20 products are going to sell and which ones are just going to sit on your store shelf and collect dust for who knows how many years. Now, obviously, this didn't kill the industry as some of the naysayers back then predicted it would. Back in the 90s and up until the early 2000s, I was in a different gaming company called Lasalian Games that I formed with some friends of mine from high school. And I remember one of our fans back then asking us why we didn't do any sort of D20 product. Now, my thought on the matter back then, as it is today, the problem when you're doing something like with the OGL is you're playing by their rules. And that means Wizards of the Coast, they can change the terms of the OGL whenever they wanted, and there wasn't really anything you could do about it. You would have to change your product or possibly risk facing you know, legal action. I don't think Wizards of the Coast ever went after any small companies, though. I mean, it probably just wouldn't have been worth the time and money and effort to do that and not to mention it wouldn't make them look very good in the eyes of the role-playing game community. They did eventually start to make some changes to the OGL, and there is one product that was believed to be responsible for these changes. I think the name of the company was Valorium Press. I might be wrong on that, but they created a product called The Book of Erotic Fantasy. And I will admit, I did see it in a store, and yes, I did pick it up and look through it. The purpose of this book was to introduce sexuality and more sexual content into Dungeons & Dragons. So you can kind of see where this gray area was. Now, when I remember looking at it, there were pictures in there, not drawings or paintings, but pictures of full frontal nudity. And let me just say that I am not offended by tasteful depictions of nudity as long as the the models are adults, they're consenting, and they know exactly what is going to be done with that nude image of them. So I assume the company made sure that their models were adults and that they knew what it was going to be used for. I guess the problem I had, though, was, okay, this they should have put like a plastic wrap around the book because Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing games, they've always had somewhat of a bad rap and gamers have sometimes been stereotyped as sexually depraved individuals. So of course this book was not going to fight any of those stereotypes. But I guess my point is that it's in a bookstore where a teenager, because there were a lot of preteens and young teenage people who liked Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, I could see them picking up this book and looking through it. And then, you know, their mom or their dad sees them looking at it. And next thing you know, they don't want them to play Dungeons and Dragons anymore. Obviously, this book did not sit well with Wizards of the Coast. And that's when a lot of people noticed they started to get a little bit of a tighter grip on the OGL. 
But again, they were still allowing people to make compatible products with some regulations. The main ones were some of the original creatures that they created, like the Mind Flayer and the Beholder. You couldn't use those because, again, those were original creatures covered by their intellectual property. When obviously stuff like giants and dragons and ogres, those have been part of folklore and mythology for thousands of years. I'm going to read some information from an article from gizmondo.com. Now, just to put a timestamp on this, I am recording this on January 6th, and this was released on, I think, either January 4th or 5th, so not too long ago. Now, according to some information from this leak, original OGL will become an unauthorized agreement and that no new content will be permitted to be created under the original license. So I assume they're still allow companies that have created material using the original license should still be able to keep those products up. Now, this doesn't really affect me personally. I have a handful of products I made that were not really OGL. I would consider them more retro clones. Uh, it's a game system called Modern Monks. It was essentially a revamped version of second edition that made a focus on martial arts where you could play it as a gritty and realistic like a you know a Chuck Norris movie or you could introduce flashy techniques and it would allow you to play campaigns that would be like the Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat video game series. So whether that's going to be impacted or not, I don't know. It's not a huge seller for me. So if I have to make changes to it, I have no problem with that. Now, here's where some of the concern comes in. Last year, Wizards of the Coast announced that they were going to be making a new version of Dungeons & Dragons that right now has the code name of 1D&D, which by everything I've heard, it would still be compatible with 5th edition. Because one of the things that older gamers liked about basic D&D, 1st and 2nd edition, is that they were compatible enough with each other that you could use material from, let's say, a 1st edition Dungeons & Dragons module in a basic Dungeons & Dragons campaign without having to do a lot of changes or modifications. Then 3rd edition came out, and it was entirely different. And then 4th edition came out, and it was completely incompatible with 3rd edition. And then 5th edition comes out, which is a, it's a good system. I've played it a few times, but doesn't have that backwards compatibility that older versions of the game did. So you would essentially have to revise and revamp your entire character. So if you had like an old 2nd edition character lying around and you wanted to bring them into 5th edition, might be a bit of a challenge in order to bring them up to the new edition. Based on the leaked information, it seems that the new document is going to be about 10 times longer than the original OGL. The original was less than 900 words long, whereas the new one is over 9,000 words long. Now, some of the stuff that we know so far does actually make sense. 
Like I said, I can't fault Wizards of the Coast for wanting to protect their intellectual property. One of the things they mentioned in this article is how they have to accommodate new technologies, specifically blockchains and NFTs. Another aspect that's going to be a huge change in the OGL, the new version, is going to be a stronger stance against content that could be seen as racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, bigoted, or otherwise discriminatory. And again, I can't blame them for taking that stance. This does actually fall in line with some of Wizards of the Coast's initiatives over the last few years. They have been trying to shoot for more diversity. I did notice that in the 5th edition Player's Handbook. So not all of the characters you saw were white males and white females. They started to show characters that were had black skin color and you know darker skin colors. So they're trying to make more characters that are black, Hispanic, or Asian. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Another reason I think they're taking this stronger stance against that type of context has to do with uh, some stuff that's been happening in the RPG industry over the last few years. To make a long story short, there was a company that was using the name TSR Games under a licensing agreement to distribute some products. But then Ernie Gygax Jr., the son of the late Gary Gygax, he started to create his own version of TSR. So there was a little bit of litigation between them, but they agreed that TSR Games could use TSR by paying a, it was a very minimal licensing fee. So it seemed pretty, you know, pretty reasonable. But there have been then a lot of other controversies regarding what some people call new TSR. For example, they're making a game called Star Frontiers New Genesis. Star Frontiers was a game that was made by the original TSR. And there was a leaked copy that came out. And yeah, let's just say there there was racist and transphobic and homophobic content in what we've seen of that product so far. So needless to say, that's caused a lot of people in the industry to try to distance themselves from that company. Not only that, some of the people involved in this game were known to post very vile things on Twitter and other social networking sites. Some of the other people in the company have said some stupid things. And yeah, it's just been a huge, huge mess. So that's why I can certainly understand why they Wizards of the Coast wants to really set themselves apart from that company. Another new aspect of technology that they're going to address with this new version of OGL is crowdfunding. There have been several companies that have created Kickstarters or other crowdfunding projects where they raised significant amounts of money in order to produce their products. 
So it seems Wizards of the Coast wants a piece of that action. According to the article on Polygon, Wizards is going to be asking for a royalty fee depending on how much your Kickstarter raised. So if it ended up being a fairly small Kickstarter, you know, maybe you were only looking for $5,000 and you managed to get $5,000, you're probably not going to be impacted by this. However, it seems that for companies that have more successful Kickstarters that raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, they could ask for a royalty fee of anywhere from 20 to 25% of what you made. As far as Kickstarter's take on this, it seems that they're trying to walk that fine line. One of the executives mentioned that they're not a part of licensing agreements. And I can certainly understand why they would want to stay out of this because they're just providing a platform for this crowdfunding to take place. They really don't have any power over what happens with a Kickstarter once it is successfully funded. Now, perhaps the companies that'll be hit the hardest by changes in the OGL will be ones that have made over $750,000 a year or more by selling OGL products. And this is where I can certainly see a lot of people losing trust in Wizards of the Coast. One company that comes to mind is Piazzo Publishing. They're the publishers of the Pathfinder role-playing game. So I could certainly see this as Wizards trying to get money from them. And uh, from what I understand, those two companies have a bit of a storied history with each other. Many years ago, Wizards of the Coast was working with Piazzo to create a new version of Dungeons & Dragons. Eventually, they decided they didn't want to do it anymore. So what Piazzo did is they took all of this work that they put into this new version of Dungeons & Dragons and they released it as their own game, Pathfinder. So whether they're intentionally trying to cripple a major competitor, I don't know. But there are a few other companies that could also potentially be impacted by these changes. Now, I'm sure as more people start to learn about this leak, and also we start to get more information about the new terms of the updated OGL, I'm sure a lot of people are going to have very negative opinions about Wizards of the Coast. I don't know if they're necessarily trying to cripple their competition, though. I remember reading in an interview with one of the, I think it was one of the brand managers or lead designers of Dungeons & Dragons, is one of the obstacles they face is Wizards of the Coast is now owned by Hasbro. And Hasbro requires each one of their brands to make a certain amount of money each year. If my memory serves me correctly, I think it was $50 This was, again, this was like probably 10 years or so ago, though, so it may have changed. Now, in the case of Wizards of the Coast, the problem they face is that Hasbro sees Dungeons & Dragons and Magic the Gathering 
as two separate brands. And the person they were interviewing said that they had no problem bringing in that money with Magic the Gathering. But sometimes they were struggling to meet that quota with Dungeons and Dragons. So needless to say, if you want to see the D&D brand continue, Wizards of the Coast is going to have to make sure that it's financially successful. Otherwise, Hasbro might cut their funding for that particular brand or maybe even get rid of it altogether. So what is the future going to hold? I don't know. I I really don't. I could see one potential outcome as we start to see more independent companies start to develop their own original systems instead of focusing on the OGL products. Maybe Backlash will cause Wizards of the Coast to lighten up with some of the new terms of the updated OGL. Maybe they'll crack down even more. Who knows? But in any case, I just hope that it doesn't tear apart the RPG community any more than it is already. Because let me tell you, and again, I'm not going to get into this now. Not a topic for this particular episode. But unfortunately, there are some rifts and there are some serious divisions within the role-playing game community. But as I said... Not something I'm going to discuss right now. Well, all we can really do is just wait and see and hope that, you know, things turn out okay. And I don't think that these changes are going to destroy the role-playing game industry, but I do see the potential for it to have some negative repercussions for Wizards of the Coast. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. You have been listening to a presentation of Point of Insanity Game Studio. Visit us on the web at poigamestudio.com. Follow us on Twitter at poigamestudio. Look us up on Facebook and email us at poigamestudio at gmail.com.